0: You're listening to the Wavemaker Conversations podcast. I'm Michael Shoulder. for Wavemaker Conversations. And this is the first time that theme music is being played live in the Wavemaker studio by the man who composed the music, plays the music, even sings with his cello. And that is a cello. Some people, even musicians, need to be told that's a cello because sometimes it sounds exactly like a cello. You're not quite sure what it is. And so a guy who can think out of the box, and that is a box, isn't it, Ben Soli? It is. It's a box
1: with uh, wooden strings. Oh, sorry. It's a wooden box with strings.
0: So when I say you think outside of the box, I mean we're speaking literally here,
1: or are well, we? Yeah. and Well, I, th- I think of it more like a Swiss Army knife. You know, you, you have this one tool that can do so many different things and different parts of it. Um, are good and better for different things, and um, but you know that 's not how it 's thought of when uh, people teach it in school when you study it in school it 's thought of as a, an instrument that has a legacy that has a tradition and, um, and you learn that tradition more than you learn how to best use the
0: tool so you 're a parent and i 'm a parent, and a lot of this, a lot of the shows i 've been doing have to in some way are connected to just how to raise your child in a great way. Mm-hmm. Even though they bounce off the news, somehow it always comes back to that. And here you are. I want to know how you were raised to become an independent musician who has created your own sound. This is Ben Sollee, by the way, cellist, singer, songwriter. And when I introduce you, by the way, I'm not sure how to categorize your music. Have you figured it out?
1: Well, I don't think there's a real need to, but, you know, I usually tell people, I grew up in Kentucky, I was around a lot of bluegrass music and a family that loved R&B music, and I studied classical cello. And somewhere in between there is my music, something like folk R&B
0: and and we were just talking we're going to hop all around, all over the place because you were just telling me we were talking about domain names and since you got the two domain names right now I mean Kentucky I'm going to call this the Kentucky episode whatever else we talk about in this episode this is because you are pure born and bred Kentucky, Kentucky, I I used to work for Peter Jennings, Mm -hmm. so Canadian journalist who made it as big as you can make it in the news business in the U.S., and he used to have an approach to domestic national news wherever he would visit. He would look at it almost with the eyes of a foreigner as if he were visiting a foreign country because there's stuff right in our backyards that we really don't know. We don't Mm. notice. Mm. So I don't know. Kentucky. So for a guy looking at Kentucky like it's its own place, it's a foreign place, what would you tell me about Kentucky and how would you play Kentucky?
1: Kentucky's a crossroads. It always has been from you know the earliest historical traces that we've got of people living there. And it's uh, a really fascinating ge- geographical, geological Place, uh, you know, lots. It's full of caves and disappearing streams and old, old mountains and um, dense forests full of hardwoods. And it's kind of a a little bit of a magical place um, that has a lot of dark and light to it. And that that goes. It's a very rich place in uh, resources. So a lot of people think Kentucky and they think uh, bourbon. They think horses. They might think bluegrass music, they might think of some types of food, and then they would think coal. And some people would think coal first. And it's just, we have so many rich resources that it's a state that has been exploited in a lot of different ways. Um, It's a state that historically has been a little bit behind the curve of, quote, the times, um, which I think makes it way more with the times now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, because all things come back around. Um, beautiful place, and it's a little bit slower pace. It's right in between that real, you know, much slower southern rural p- pace of life and pace of conversation, and it's a little bit faster than that, but still slower than a lot of the things that are happening in the north.
0: You know, the way you initially describe Kentucky, and then use the words after that—the the words we normally associate with Kentucky. Because like, you just rebranded the state, yeah. I'm,
1: I'm ready to take an eco
0: tour through Kentucky.
1: Come on through! And in, in, in fact, I I've been lobbying to redesign the state flag. I think the state flag of Kentucky needs to be changed. It's this old, out of date, irrelevant picture of a statesman and some pioneer shaking hands. And, um, that doesn't represent our state anymore.
0: How would you, how would you, do you have an image in your mind? Well, and I think that it's just
1: bad design period. I listened to this podcast called 99% design, uh, sorry, 99% invisible by Roman Mars, incredible podcast. And they did one on, um, the, you know, the study of design of flags. I think it's called vexiology. Or vexology, not sure. Um, And they talked about the redesign of the city of Portland's flag. And um, just about good flag design needs to be something that you can read and understand from a distance. Which is to say, don't put words on there because you can't read those from far away. And make it be a design that's iconic. You You think of the state flags of California. You think of the state flags of Colorado. Everyone wears them. Everyone else in the country knows what they look like. Even if they don't think it's the state flag, it's like, oh, yeah, I know that image from that state. I know the sunrise sea. I know the roaming bear. But not for Kentucky. Kentucky is just like, whoa, I'm not sure what the state flag is. And I think that lends itself to people being able to divide themselves in the state be like, well, you know, I'm from the eastern part of Kentucky. I'm from the central part of Kentucky. I'm from the western part. And I think a new flag that was maybe designed in a public campaign and voted on in a public way would be really successful in uniting the state and helping us succeed as we transition from this era of, you know, resource-rich mining, you know, rural mining towns to, you know, well, that coal's gone now. We mined it out. What's what's next for us? Is it the space race that's happening in Kentucky? Is it the the land grab that's going on right now for, you know, land-based satellite communications everybody wants you know kentucky's this special geological geographical place that can insulate enough from all the noise that's happening in the electronics world to be able to communicate directly with satellites and it's happening but no one knows about the space race in kentucky because kentucky is horses and the derby's getting ready to go on
0: it is, but I, so I got to say, what is the space race in Kentucky?
1: There's literally um, a, a satellite, personal satellite revolution that's going on in Kentucky. There's companies like Space Tango, and there's universities like uh, Murray State that are working on satellite communications. And a lot of the reason for it is because Kentucky's all those rolling hills and valleys are are very insulated, and because we were quote behind the times, we. Um, we don 't have as much interference in the state communications interference so people can get direct lines to their satellites in space from the hills of Kentucky and I just think that the allegory is so rich there that there needs to be books and stories
0: and you know documentaries made on that i, I was i 'm thinking as you 're speaking. It's so interesting of because you're, you're blending science and the arts right there, yeah. what you're talking about, and, and one of my favorite and many people's favorite uh, biologists, if people have a favorite biologist, but he's one of the great conservationists, E. O. Wilson, mm-hmm. and he just wrote a book that only a guy with his background could get away titling as. The, the meaning of human existence. Not many people can... Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's pretty suck Not many people can write that book and, and be taken seriously, but he has the credentials for it. And one of the things he says is, we have got for science to thrive you have got to marry it with the humanities they cannot be separate dimensions and so it sounds like so i'm just listening to you i've known you for years you have never gone off in the way you just have on on kentucky and the beauty and the poetry of kentucky first time and 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 so, so something i'm noticing about you and i've always known this is you are curious about a lot of things and you are always learning and as you said you just i mean I didn't know this particular podcast, but you happen to have latched on to an episode about flags, and there is actually a vexology, a word. A study for, of a, the design of, of the flags. Design, and you're interested in it. So I have to figure that maybe, just maybe, classical music, as broad a repertoire as there is there, wasn't able to express all your interests. Is Am I reading into this too much? Um, No, I don't think that you are. I think that
1: classical music the i think it's the the music itself is so universal and expansive and and plays with so many different ideas about humanity and the arts and all that stuff um that it was that I've, i stayed interested in that it was really the culture and the traditions that were surrounding the study of classical music that i struggled with because much of it was was back was backdated it was um you know, much of the music that I was studying and playing was logged a long time ago. And there was a big, um, river between it and what was happening now, especially through the lens of the cello. You know, there was very little contemporary music that I was studying as part of my, you know, getting to know or learning the cello. And I, uh, I just, that's not what I was interested in. And it was a less social art form and a much more, you know, studied art form. And, And I just, I love hanging out with people. I love exchanging ideas and collaborating. And that's what I wanted to do with the cello. And that's what happens in folk music. That's what happens in rock and roll. That's how we get all these mixing of genres and ideas. And so I just constantly took my cello out into those worlds and learned how to play it like a banjo, learned how to play electric music, learned how to play electronic music, um, learned how to write songs. And the the cello, like I said, it's been a great Swiss Army knife for that thing because I've never found it wanting. I've never not been able to make the sound that I'm looking for.
0: So, so you're always, and you're always looking for different sounds and I, and we've talked about this before, but why don't you get back on your cello and tell me, cause I'm always fascinated with those, those first sounds. Like people often talk about the first teacher who inspired them to do something. And I'm mm-hmm. sure you have a teacher somewhere in your past that you can tell me about, but with you, it's also the first sounds that inspired you. So mm-hmm. Take us back, tell us how old you were, what sounds you heard, and where they led. And then, how this wide range of interests and so much that's going on around you mm-hmm. have played into your music. I wanna see if, if you can draw a direct line with an interest of yours, or a something you experienced, and that music you've created. Sure.
1: So I picked up the cello in public schools when I was nine years old. And the teacher came around with like a petting zoo of instruments. You know? And she was a violin player by training. And so she played a little violin for us, which was nice. And then she played a little viola for us, which was also nice. But then she picked up the cello. She said, Class, this is a cello, and you can study it in fourth grade orchestra. And this is what a cello sounds like. It was the first sound I ever heard out of a cello in person. And so if you can imagine being back in third grade for just even a moment, don't stay there long, that sound was fascinating to me bodily noises on an instrument, yeah, let's do it. And so, she had my attention, and I said, wait, really, you can make those sounds on the cello? And she said, no, uh, I'd prefer it if you made sounds like this. Second sound I ever heard out of a cello. And so I went home to mom and dad and I said, there's this instrument, and it's the cello, and I've gotta play it.
0: So I, I have to pause you there, because, so this teacher had a sense of humor, no, and the she, teacher just made mistakes. Oh, and I, latched, I latched onto those mistakes. I'm thinking, like, man, she's smart. She's oh. really getting into this these kids' heads. Ah.
1: No, <laughs> no, I think she really intended to play the cello beautifully. Like, oops, sorry, the cello. I just knocked over a whole lot of pins with my cello bow, which is rock and roll. But now that they're knocked over, I can play. Mm-hmm. that people think of when they think of the cello.
0: But it's beautiful, and if I had been uh, third grade and I heard that, and I saw the, uh, I wouldn't call it the ergonomics if I was in third grade, but I saw that there was no stress in your arms and you're just making these beautiful sounds, I might have been interested, but you don't think so. You were more interested in that squeaky sound.
1: I think like most third graders, I was just interested in making crazy sounds sounds that I was that were around me which was R&B music at my house then I would go back to school and study more classical To hanging out at home, playing old R&B tunes with Dad. and That went in for a long time, and the thing was is that my teachers really didn't have time to include my interest in fiddle tunes and R&B music. They were working on a curriculum, and uh, the folks at home, my mom, my dad, my grandfather, Elvis, were busy. You know, they just didn't know how to play classical music, so the, the lives stayed very separate for a long
0: time. Did you say your grandfather
1: Elvis? My grandfather Elvis Henry Cornelius. And was he He's in a fiddle the, player?
0: Well, grandfather, it would have been too old to have been named after.
1: No, he was he was named before, and he he always would get a good chuckle out of that. Yeah, like yeah, I'm Elvis. Okay. okay. He had so, beautiful white silver hair. He was he was a good dude. His character.
0: So, so, but somehow you you had these other sounds at home. I mm-hmm. mean, that was the real party going home, it sounded like. But you stuck with the classical training at a young age. That, I mean, did you see the connection that that's going to help me in the other area? Or oh, it was... no,
1: of course not. No, I okay. mean, there was nothing conceptual about it. I just loved getting to play the cello.
0: So even in school, even doing the classics, even though that wasn't your first love, you loved holding this instrument in your hands and playing it
1: yeah i definitely just had a natural affinity for it and i liked getting good at it i liked the fact that i was good at it i had a lot of talent at it um that would bite me the butt sometimes because i'd be like oh i don't need to practice for that audition but i liked the fact that i was good at something I, I made that part of my identity i would sit around during school lunch break in the hallways and just play cello and i would just play 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 with anyone and anything and in any environment i loved cello in weird environments um that was the thing that came naturally to me. That's the thing that made sense. Um, later on in college, I came to understand, like, well, yeah, it'd be good to be able to, you know, play and talk to other cellists from uh, a level playing ground. So, did you go to college and study? I studied classical. Ch- um, I have a degree from the University of Louisville in classical performance.
0: Louisville, another place in Kentucky.
1: I uh, know. I I've been Kentucky bound. I really haven't seen a reason to, to live anywhere else. I mean, I've watched musical friends of great talent go off to L.A. and New York, and they've had some success, but mostly they've just tried to make enough money to live in those places.
0: Ben Soli, Kentucky-bound, briefly unbound here with me in Atlanta. He will treat us to a performance near the end of the show. First, I want to welcome Wavemaker Conversations sponsor Mac Weldon. As soon as I got the call from Mac Weldon, I went to the company's website and was really struck by the tagline, Smart Underwear for Smart Guys. Now, smart guys, I know, they listen to the Wavemaker podcast. But what is smart underwear to find out... Go to MacWeldon.com. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. And in addition to seeing photos of what they have to offer, they lay out all the specs of the materials that are used, the design, and importantly for the WaveMaker audience, MACWeldon is offering a 20% discount if you use the promotional code WAVEMaker. That's MacWeldon.com. Order as much or as little as you like. Use the promotional code WAVEMAKER. 20% discount. And this is critical to me. If it doesn't fit right, they'll exchange the size, or you can send it back for a refund. That's smart. You're listening to the Wavemaker Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Michael Shoulder. With me in the studio in Atlanta is a man on a mission to rebrand the state of Kentucky. He's cellist, singer, songwriter, Kentucky Renaissance man, Ben Soli. And I know how hard it is for you to leave Kentucky, which is why when I heard you were coming through Atlanta, I wanted to grab you because, I, <laughs> because I, that's rare. So, so and you love Kentucky so much. We were just talking before we, started, before we started recording, you got a couple of domain names you're working on. So it's not just the flag. So I want you to tell me about the two domain names because I got a thing about domain names. I just want to tell you, before you even tell me that story, Okay, I have bought so many domain names and... It became almost an addiction. And I bought all, and every time I think of a new idea, I think, like, This is a. This is not just a bit. This is a brand. Mm. This is worthy of a domain Mm. name. And then I look it up on GoDaddy or one of the domain name sites, and it's like, oh my God, it's still there. It exists. Nobody else had the obvious idea that I just had. Mm. And so I buy the domain name. That's fun. It's never expensive, right? Mm. Until you start looking at the list of your domain names, and you starting to spend a fortune yearly in domain names. So I said, you know what? I've got a problem. And you know what I did? I said, I'm going to start a club, a program, a twelve step program called Domain Names Anonymous. I said <laughs> I said, wait a second I gotta buy that and, and sure enough DomainNamesAnonymous.com was available I own it you don't have as serious a problem as I do.
1: I, I do not so I, tell,
0: tell me your domain names and why you chose these and, and what we might expect from them.
1: Okay wow I've never talked about this so um, it's, a, it's a new thing for me to um collect little ideas and and center them around, you know, a place on the internet. And someone was talking to me the other day, and they said a friend visited and was in Kentucky for one of our events, whether they, it was a fair or a, you know, Thunder over Louisville or something like that. And they're like, yeah, Kentucky was great. I really enjoyed seeing all those Kentucky natives, if you know what I mean. And, of course, you, <laughs> they were referring to rednecks. <laughs> and I thought... Kentucky Natives. That's that's an awesome name. And of course I'd been listening to the Alabama Shakes new record Sound and Color, which is absolutely stunning. And I was like, wow, that, that would be our version. I should see if that's available. And sure enough, Kentucky Natives somehow, remarkably, was available. And so I put my fingerprint on that and I put my fingerprint on native Kentucky. And of course there's all these new ones now, so it's I got Kentative. KentuckyNatives.Band, KentuckyNatives.Audio, because all these things can, who knows where they're going to go. There might be separate apps that can connect directly with those in, in better, more compelling ways. I don't know, but I got my flagpole on them. And then there's other things that have to do with my interest in, in sound and radio that um, I'm trying to develop a little bit. You know, I've got things like um, sauna press and... Tone sketch and uh, audio trope. What are these? These are just domains that I've that I've kind of put my flag on. Oh, so say. wait
0: a second. So you started off by saying, No, I'm not that into it, Michael. You need domain names anonymous. Uh, Clearly you need to I'm, join my my program. I, I might need to <laughs> <laughs> I don't have that many. I've got like eight. Eight, eight. Yeah, but eight, you know, it starts
1: with starts with a drink a day, yeah. <laughs> and two drinks a day, and then suddenly you
0: own you know, thirty domains. But you've but you framed it so beautifully because you say it's a collection. You're collecting ideas, and I've heard you say this in the past about sounds, mm-hmm. and that really stuck with me. You said I collect sounds, so I want you to go back to the cello, and I want you to sh- let let us hear some of the sounds you've collected, and how they moved from the sphere of individual sounds into maybe actual music. Okay, I'll give it a shot. And by the, way, by the way, for the Wavemaker audience, clearly none of this is rehearsed. I'm just throwing stuff at Ben, and you'll see it sticks.
1: So one of my favorite um, sounds on the cello um, that I discovered um, is touch harmonics. It's the most natural sounds you can make on a string instrument because you're not actually changing the length of the string. You're dividing the string into harmonics. So not much when you just play them on their own.
0: Wait a second, was that one string? Those how, are How they, many strings did you just hit?
1: So on one this this is harmonics on one string. So that's just dividing the string into different lengths of parts. So that you get all these overtones that shine through. Now, that's that's not too mu- too interesting on their own, but then listening to different types of ambient music and electronic music, you know, you start to hear all these cool key synth pads. And so I started trying to combine harmonics in different ways that were, you know, reached. So you start to get these sounds that don't sound cello-like, but there's the cello making them. And um, another thing that I love is percussion. You know, I work with my percussionist, Jordan Ellis. I've been working with him for a long time, and every time I play with him, he'll do something wacky and new, and I'll try to respond to that with my cello. So if we're playing, you know, a simple rock beat, he'll start back turning around the beat. So he'll do something like... And I'll mimic that. Working with electric guitar players and folks that play these massive leads in massive arenas, I was like, how do you make that sound? And like many folks, they would respond, I don't know, I just do it. And so there wasn't really a good lesson plan. There wasn't really a good guidepost. I just went searching for it. So I would look for that big electric sound on the acoustic cello where is it there it is
0: So you found it, I'm probably only seeing part of it, you found it just above the bridge, but not everybody who plays just above the bridge can make that sound.
1: Well, yeah, they could. I mean, that's the thing, is, there's no no tricks, there's no special pedals, there's no buy-in on this. I'm playing a $200 plywood cello that I bought off of eBay. It's exactly the same sort of cello that I picked up in public schools. The thing is, is that you just go for that sound, it has to start within you, it has to start in your mind... It's all there. It's just a wooden box of strings.
0: So I I have to stop on that $200 cello on eBay because you're somebody who, hey, if somebody who owned a really, really expensive, fine instrument and couldn't really play it that well heard you, they'd say, you know, Ben, play my instrument. It would be my honor. It, do you have an expensive cello somewhere? I do. I have my
1: fancy cello, as I call it, which is a beautiful cello made by a wonderful American maker um, what's, what's named Guy Ray Butte. Uh, he's based out of New York, and uh, he's won a bunch of awards, but not to be too pretentious about it. It's just a beautiful cello. It's made out of willow wood. You know, you know picking cellos is a lot like picking your wand in Harry Potter. You know, it's, sometimes it just fits you, and this cello fit me, but I couldn't afford it, and... Um, um, a collector uh, allowed me to play it. So I do have that, but that cello is really good. Again, going back to the wooden box with strings, a cello. the cello world looks at cellos quite often as a pinnacle, like there's the great cellos, and then there's everything else that falls underneath them. Of course, in the guitar world, it's not like that. You've got great bluegrass guitars made by Martin and Gibson. You've got great jazz guitars made by... You don't even know all the jazz makers, and like people think of guitars as tools that are good at lots of different jobs. Or there's this type of guitar is really good at this job. A telecaster, cheap old telecaster factory guitar, became the sound of rock and roll. You know, a Stratocaster, a little bit fancier, cheapo guitar, became the sound of blues, and uh, those things. You know, they they happened because those tools were good at the environments that they needed to function in, right? They were good at being really reliable, loud, present, adjustable, adaptive in shitty blues bars, and um, that made those instruments successful.
0: You know what's interesting? Look, that adaptability. So going back to right. We're both parents right what do we want to see in our children how do we mm-hmm. want to raise our children what, what do we want to see at the end of the day we want to see adaptable resilient kids i hate to push the metaphor too much but really when i look at that cello and i hear you tell me the story about all these instruments and what they can do even if they're not the fancy ones that's sort of how i want my kids to develop in many ways right well you know we're all coming from different backgrounds we're all coming from different
1: social and economic abilities and uh you know for for me and my family my wife is a a, has been a student of the arts and has now taken a shot at being an artist herself i am a cellist singer songwriter musician like there's some things that we can't uh There's some opportunities we can't financially afford to create for Oliver, but I don't think that means that he doesn't have them already. Um, Again, going back to this metaphor of the cello, this is the right tool for the job that I want to do, which is to take it out, do bike tours, go play in rock and roll clubs, play in coffee shops, have a cello that I don't worry so much about that I don't spend time playing with people. Get the boundaries low. And I feel like I try to represent that to Oliver, my son. Uh, I try to allow him to... Join me on stage. I try to allow him to not feel like he needs to learn to play piano. Maybe his in for music is a synthesizer on the iPad. It's, he's still using the same parts of his brain. It's just different, you know. It's not the way that maybe the path that I want him to go, but it may end up in the same spot. He may make a high level of music on a, using a different tool.
0: Well, and getting back to your upbringing, your parents and was it your uncle and your grandfather and they all played and they were playing bluegrass. They didn't take you into a room and say, "This is what you're playing, son."
1: yeah I mean, or did they? no, no, they didn't I think that they um they all were good and comfortable doing their different types of music and um they were accepting of the cello because the cello they 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 found it to be a pleasing instrument and uh and enjoyed it, but they didn't necessarily think it needed to play a certain type of music you know my my grandfather called it elvis called it a long haired instrument why is that? I don't know. I think that he was referring to the fact that people that play cello have time to keep long hair. I'm not totally sure. It might have been a, like a statement on high society because he was, you know, a financially independent but not super wealthy, you know, farmer in Kentucky, uh, Baptist preacher. He, he didn't. Have a lot of success in his life, and he no one played cello around him in his community, so it must have been one of those city instruments. And city people have long hair. I don't know what it was, but you know, it was definitely considered fancy. But he still taught me fiddle tunes on it. He saw it, he's like, Well, that's just a big fiddle, you should learn to play fiddle tunes.
0: You know, and he would just teach me these tunes. This is Wavemaker Conversations. I'm Michael Shoulder, and I'm speaking with Kentucky cellist, singer, songwriter Ben Solee. He's going to perform one of my favorite pieces of his, Electrified, at the end of this program. First, I want to welcome WaveMaker's sponsor, Harry's.com. When I heard the Harry's.com value proposition, it truly resonated with me because I had the same experience the founders say drove them to start the company. I have gone to pharmacies where the high end razors I want are kept in a locked case. You have to get the attendant to open it, then you get sticker shock, then you wait online to pay. At Harry's, you can order all your high-end shaving supplies for less online. delivered at no extra charge. And if you try Harry's, once you get a sense of how many blades you're using over a given time, you can set up a regular delivery. You don't even have to think about it. Harry's.com is offering a discount to Wavemaker listeners. At checkout, type in the promotional code WAVEMAKER, and you get $5 off a starter kit. That's harrys.com, promotional code WAVEMAKER, high-end razors, shaving cream, cool-looking handles right to your door no matter where you live, especially Kentucky. Joining me in Atlanta, Kentucky cellist, singer, songwriter, Ben Solee. First of all, you mentioned bike tour, and so I should we should just let everybody listening know that that you actually strap that cello onto a bike and it's because of what you've talked about this thirst for interaction with other people and you do bike tours which mm-hmm. means you can't cover as much ground but you get deeper into the community so so what tell me about the bike tour and right. how in shape do you have to be to be ben so the cellist <laughs> in shape. Wow.
1: Um, so we do these tours called ditch the van tours, um, which kind of refers to, we're trying to get away from the speed and pace of planes, trains, and automobiles. We have flown over, driven past, ridden by so many amazing places on this planet just to get to the show. And then you set up and play your show and you end up in a Cheap hotel, so that you can get on to the next show. That's not why I got into this. I love the social art form that is music, not just the industry art form or the studied art form. I really like interacting with people. That's where music lives. And so, um, after quite a few years of touring with bands and just living in a blur, you know, flying back and forth from coast to coast three or four times a week, I just like, I need to slow down. And I saw a commercial on Current TV, what was Current TV, for a long-frame bicycle called an Extra Cycle. This must have been 2009. And I said, I can fit my cello on that. And so I called up the company and said, I want to do a, a music tour from my hometown, Lexington, Kentucky, down to Bonnaroo Music Festival. Massive festival in Tennessee. And they said, sure. So how Send ma- you a bike. How many miles is that? 332, to, not to be too exact. And um, And so... I did my first bike tour and I didn't have anybody that was going to do it with me. Uh, I didn't have anybody that knew how to tell me to do it. I didn't really have a lot of resources and I didn't know how to train for bicycling. I just knew that I loved being on my bike. I needed to slow down and that there was this festival that was a good goal, an achievable goal, at least in my mind. <laughs> and so I set out to do it. I you know, encountered some folks before the tour that were really curious to see, well, is this cellist going to die on his bicycle? I mean, is he going to make it? Like what's going to happen? And so they decided to ride with me and document the tour. And those were, um, the Bensons, Katie and Marty Benson. And, um, I did the tour, succeeded, only puked about twice. It was in late June. It was hot. um, and it was very hilly. There's something called the Highland Plateau between uh, my hometown and the and the festival. And there's a reason they call it the Highland Plateau because you got to get up. <clears throat> and uh, but it was incredibly uh, it was incredibly enlivening and centering because I found a pace that I really loved. I, I understood that sequence in Forrest Gump when he just starts running a little bit better. Because he just needed to run that 's like that 's the pace he needed to move at for well for as long as he needed to move at it and so, 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 I... so it
0: looks you know, listening to you it's it 's it's an unusual conversation because i 'm looking at you and as you say it 's hard to make money in this field, but you are you are you have been moving forward. people can hear your music I know sometimes we put on on satellite radio we we put on coffee house. A couple of your songs always come up there. Uh, you've clearly got a really devoted fan base. Every time I look you up, it's like your fan base keeps on growing and growing. And But all these things you're doing, like you get an idea and you pursue it, that takes a lot of confidence. And it's you sound like a person who's not that scared of failure. So I want to know what what happened in your life. What, what was an, the influence in your life that made you... Apparently to me, so fearless, or maybe you're just, maybe you got the fear and you're just dealing with it. Mm. I don't know. I've never been asked that question. Am I reading too much into you? I mean, because it, it does sound like you are really willing to go out there and try new things and take risks and follow your curiosity. And you're not really calculating, you know, is this going to is this going to pay off in a big way? That doesn't seem to be your question. For you, it's more of an internal satisfaction, which then gets communicated to the listeners.
1: Well, for me, that is the payoff in a big way, right? I mean, I think one of the things that's functioning for me is I played on a a, a live audience radio show called Wood Song's Old Time Radio Hour for years. I played on over 200 broadcasts as part of the stage band. And we had artists... Uh, from all walks of life coming through on that show, two, shart- two artists to show uh, with interviews. And I would sit there on stage with them. And some of them were you know, Odetta, one of the great folk singers of the civil rights era and uh, of movement. And she had this incredible energy and she would just infuse her songs with Power, And she talked about industry and the struggle about being an artist in, a, in an industry that needs you to be an entertainer as well. And I met Roger McGuinn, who, you know, had this huge smash hit. And what do you do with your career after you've shot the rocket to the moon with Turn, Turn, Turn? And I uh, sat in on interviews with, you know, mountain singer great Ralph Stanley and, and young Chris Thiele and Bela Fleck and Edgar Meyer. And I get to hear all these people um, talk about and play their great successes, their great failures, their, um, their trials, their triumphs, all those things. And I, it was like, if you wanted to be a pilot, you would hang out at the airport and watch all the planes take off and land. If you wanted to be a riverboat captain like Mark Twain, you would hang out by the river. I wanted to be a musician and I hung out by one of the great arteries of music coming through Kentucky. And I learned so much about what it means to have quote-unquote success in your career. And so many of the artists would talk about things that didn't have anything to do with uh, financial success. They would talk about this great piece of art that they made that got shelved at a record label. They would talk about time away from their families. They would talk about... um Band members that were lost on the road to drugs and alcohol. They would talk about great places that they went to once and swore they would go back to, and never got to go back to again. They talked about um, collaborations that never happened because someone didn't, you know, make it. And for me, that was a huge cue to pursue my music career. Uh, to as success being working with good people doing good things. Now, I know that seems like a really subjective judgment, and I don't mean to say, you know, the people that I don't work with are
0: bad. Well, it is subjective, but that's it has to be for it, each it has individual. To, be to make art, yes,
1: of course. But I think that um, my goal was just a little bit different. I wasn't looking for these major projects because, I, you know, I saw Hanson come through my radio show after their hit, and they were still playing the hit. And I think they, I think they still enjoy playing their hit. Um, and I saw quite a few other artists that also had hits that came on the show that didn't enjoy playing their hits, and they, they really struggled with their identity. I do not struggle with my identity. I love traveling. I love meeting. I don't have a, um, you know, any type of aura or you know, fashion statement that I'm putting out. I'm just. I just walk up on stage with my cello. i be the boy from Kentucky who loves Kentucky, who also likes riding his bike, and just wants to have a collaborative dialogue with that place that I'm in. And and that's it. And I feel like...
0: So how, how many miles away are you from Kentucky right now? I bet you know it, to the mile, almost. 360-ish. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> so do me, do me a favor, as as we end this... Play the remainder of that theme song, which I, you've given me permission to do that one riff from, and I do it every time because it energizes me. Is that the intended effect? I mean, that, that, that riff and that song energize. It also causes me to think a little bit, and I want to get into all the thoughts, because for everybody, art is different, right? Mm-hmm. It has a, but, but pick up where you left off on the theme music and, and play me that song. Absolutely. Please.
1: (laughs) Well, thanks for having me on. This has been great.
2: The trees are electrified. The streets are electrified. Your ears are electrified. My voice is electrified If your heart isn't steady, they can make it beat in time If your mind is confused, Lord, it will be clarified If you're old-fashioned, you will be modernized Everything is electrified Everything is electrified, I in the jungle, use the satellite. If you're broke in the city, stick on the bus line. You lost your job, because it was mechanized. They said we have to compete when the market's globalized. Everything Everything is electrified. Everything is electrified. Everything is electrified. When my bare hands touch the base of your spine, I feel you shudder and
3: close your eyes move
2: like a swallow and I'm hypnotized. Everything is electrified, everything is electrified, everything. Others may be vilified, assess your losses, learn to diversify, find your higher calling and evangelize, build your congregation, now you're televised. Everything is electrified, everything is electrified, everything, everything. Let me
0: native. Yes. Ben Salee. If you like what you've heard on this episode, you can subscribe to Wavemaker Conversations on iTunes, and you can always find this podcast on the new CBS podcasting platform Play It. That's play.it. I'm your host, Michael Shoulder. Thank you for listening.